The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on their drums. Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and today I'll be talking with David Edgerton about British declinism, the way declinist narratives structure our understanding of modern British history and the political uses to which declinism has been put both on the left and the right. You can listen to PTO on iTunes, Acast and Soundcloud and you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Poll Theory Other. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. You can also support PTO by donating through Patreon. You can become a supporter for as little as $3 a month, which is just over £2. And by becoming a patron, you'll get access to extended versions of PTO episodes. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Before we get to today's interview with David, here's a brief snippet from the latest episode of Red Hacks, a series of conversations with leading journalists on doing journalism in a neoliberal world, presented by Joanna Ramiro. In the latest episode, which will be out later in the week, Joanna interviewed George Eaton, deputy editor of The New Statesman. I'd always been quite disappointed while I was at university that British politics seemed so dull by comparison with previous decades and and with other European countries. And it felt very dull because in 2005, particularly that election, you had Labour and the Conservative both stand on, on manifestos that were not far apart in terms of policy. And it felt like the parameters of the debate were very narrow. That then started to change, of course, with the 2008 financial crisis. And that's by happy coincidence, was obviously when I started in, in in journalism. And so that felt like a turning point in that a lot of subjects around, a lot of debates around taxation, around ownership, around regulation of the economy, around the nature of capitalism itself were reawakened. And then particularly you saw after the coalition came to power, obviously the huge rows about uh, austerity. And I think you can trace, I wrote a long piece for the NS in 2017 on the prehistory of Corbynism. And I think you can trace the rise of that left movement in part to the anti-cuts protests, to movements like UK Uncuts um, and the general sense that the public realm needed a resolute defence. And so to cover all of that, and of course the novelty of having a coalition in Westminster, um, of course by comparison to the shocks we've seen since, it doesn't feel that radical. But at the time it did feel like a... A great change. (laughs) 
David Edgerton is Hans Rousing Professor of the History of Science and Technology and Professor of Modern British History at King's College London. He's the author of many books, including The Shock of the Old, Technology and Global History Since 1900, and Britain's War Machine, Weapons, Resources and Experts in the Second World War. Our conversation was prompted by his most recent book, The Rise and Fall of the British Nation, A 20th Century History, which is out now from Alan Lane. Your work is obviously very strongly associated with its rejection of, of declinism, the idea that, that the UK went to some sort of severe decline vis-a-vis its, its continental and global rivals at, at a certain point in the 20th century, although that's a bit of a movable feast. You know, it's not always clear at what the, the point of decline sets in. Um, and it also seems to come from uh, people of quite different political tendencies. So... You know, there's that very sort of broad-based, almost non-political view of Britain in the during the war. Um, that Britain was this sort of comparative minnow compared to Nazi Germany, uh, which obviously your work has refuted. But then, I th- you know, thinking about the current movement, there's, there's probably you know certain strands of a, of a liberal Europhile perspective that has uh, you know possibly tended to over- overstate British declinism. Um, because that fits with their belief in the importance of multilateralism and, and the binding of the UK within a sort of broader political and economic project. Um, before we sort of go more into into the book, could, could you just say something about the historiography of declinism and if declinism has tended to be at significant odds with the, um, the, the economic data, um, to what political ends has, has declinism tended to be deployed? Yes, the, 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 the history of declinism is, is really extremely interesting. I mean, you could argue that some element has been there for much of the, the 20th century, but there are particular moments where it comes to the fore. Um, and, and one of those is the late 50s and early 60s, where declinism isn't just a, uh, a feature of the commentariat, but also of politics. I mean, Harold Wilson is, a, is an openly declinist uh, uh, politician. Uh, and then uh, as uh, other periods, um, declinism is to be found on the right, on the left, and in the in the centre. Uh, it, it therefore supports uh, lots of different sorts of political uh, project, uh, and 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 that 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 is an that is an important point to 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 to, to make about it. But it's not seen even within um, those openly political uh, projects as a political question itself. It's taken for granted that this uh, decline has happened and is to be explained by national failure. In fact, that's my definition of what declinism is. It's uh, uh, attributing a a, uh, relative decline of the British economy to national failings when most of the relative decline most certainly has happened is due to the success of other countries, not to British, uh, not to British failings. So declinism has this very strange quality that it, um, it points to failings uh, with, a, with a view to uh, removing them so that Britain can once again find its true and important place in world uh, affairs. So it's, it's in many ways... Um, uh, 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 delusional thinking. It's, it, 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 it thinks that that that, that the British British uh, um, the British position in in the world can be restored to what it was in I don't know 1945 or 1870 or 1900 or whatever whatever it uh, it might be. And it is a very movable feast, as you as you as you as, as you said. So we've had this decline, which I actually associate primarily 
there's a very strong um, decline in the late 50s, early 60s. It goes right through. There's another great bout in the in the 1970s and especially the 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 19 um, the, the 1980s. Uh, I mean, I associate it quite strongly with different kinds of economic nationalism. I think declinist projects tended to be uh, uh, nationalist projects, not 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 uh, not not all of them. Um, uh, and the great uh, objections to the uh, declinist perspective came first of all from American liberal economic historians in uh, the late 60s, 1970s. I'm thinking of people like Deirdre McCloskey, uh, 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 who's a who's a who's a great influence uh, uh, on on me. I mean, in the in the age, 70s and 80s, you got some anti-declinist arguments, which weren't really anti-declinist arguments. They were arguments against particular explanations of decline. So there was an, an objection, say, to uh, Martin Wiener's um, uh, lack of industrial spirit uh, um, uh, uh, arguments, or some some objections to some of. So, so this is the the kind of claim that um, Britain is is hobbled by this enfeebled aristocracy uh, as compared with Europe. That's right, and 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 especially by um, uh, the, the, that that enfeebled aristocracy promoting uh, an anti-industrial culture in education and uh, and else and elsewhere, corrupting the thrusting bourgeoisie that might otherwise have uh, been there. Uh, so uh, so th there's that. But I think what happened in uh, the early 90s, uh, and certainly I was arguing this at this at this time, was to, was to make the point that that the whole issue of uh, of, of, of decline uh, was uh, was misconceived. So it wasn't just a, it wasn't a problem of a particular explanation not working. It's the whole the whole the whole uh, uh, explanands and explanandum uh, 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 in play was was all very very uh, dodgy. Hence the definition of the term declinism to characterise this uh, this literature. Now um, uh, de declinism uh, has gone out of fashion in the writing of uh, history of 20th century uh, 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 Britain uh, from I suppose the the late 1990s. But the assumptions that were made in declinist literature about the nature of British capitalism, the British state, the British elite, the British educational system have all remained in play. So declinism has had a, a, an extraordinary influence on how we uh, uh, conceive of uh, some in, very important agents in British history. Now, um, there are many varieties of uh, 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 of declinism. I think by far the richest, uh, and by far the richest uh, formulation of uh, what the history of late 19th, 20th century Britain ought to be, is that of uh, the new left of the late 50s and early 60s. I think that's the most comprehensive, most interesting um, most interconnected account there is. I'm thinking of the work of, uh, of Perry Anderson and uh, and and Tom Nairn here, uh, and a lot of other work that that makes similar uh, uh, sorts of arguments, like Kane and Hopkinson on 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 British uh, British imperialism. In other words, the, 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 there's a left intellectual tradition here of making certain arguments about. The globality of British capitalism, the nature of the British elite, the nature of the British uh, uh, state, uh, particular 
um, uh, particular continuities in uh, in the British state and the British economy over over the over the 20th century, which I think are really really important, and you know go although they are deeply declinist, they go way beyond what we normally associate with uh, with declinism. Uh, uh, that's to say, uh, we're, we're talking about some deeply ingrained assumptions of, of, uh, about the UK and its history. And, and sorry, could you could you explain the the the, uh, the ways in which they go beyond that account? You think? Well, uh, uh, for example, um, uh, I think um, uh, there is a particular argument about about the nature of the British elite, which is not simply that it's uh, that it that is backward and unscientific and all the rest of it. But that that um, that that comes from a, a, a particular argument that you alluded to to yourself a minute a, a minute ago uh, about an aristocracy that is um, that is that becomes kind of financially oriented and 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 is and is successful and imposes its um, its its culture and uh, uh, and an ideology on a, a potentially disruptive um, bourgeoisie. Uh, and and the, the 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 period that that people have in mind for the kind of high point of this uh, um, uh, this this phenomenon is is really the Edwardian period. So a lot of new left history, and indeed other history, uh, takes uh, the 20th century uh, United Kingdom to be formed in deep deep ways by essentially an Edwardian experience uh, of, of the globality of British capitalism of the the importance of the of the of a particular kind of uh, 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 very rich and successful uh, 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 glo- globalized finance. It's a whole set of theses then about the influence of of, uh, of um, a glo- globalized finance over the, the British state, of the Bank of England, over the over the the, the Treasury. Um, in other words, we're talking about the the city, uh, the uh, city which through its actions is is more concerned to maintain the value of living or the, the value of foreign investments than it is to maintain uh, or develop uh, um, the national productive economy of the the united the united kingdom that point you make about how declinism has really sort of fallen out of favor in you know at least in the in the academic world um but it's obviously extremely persistent um, just in the in the in the popular imagination. I mean, would you would you want to attribute that to a sort of a time lag? Developments in history, in the academic world, sort of take take a while to filter through into popular consciousness, or is it that declinist narratives are just so sort of politically seductive and useful that it's very hard to 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 really tackle them at the at the popular level? Yes, yeah, so actually, I'm not really sure where um, things are at the at the popular level. Uh, and um, Brexit um, uh, is interesting in this in this context. On the one hand, you could argue that a lot of people voted Brexit because they have this very strong sense of the economy declining because of uh, the the EU. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the Brexiteers and, and I include uh, uh, Theresa May's government in this have a very different line. Which is that the British economy has has uh, has become fundamentally really strong. Um, it's a very revivalist, not declinist perspective. Somewhere along the line, uh, the United Kingdom has once again become this great creative force in the world, not only in terms of 
free trade, but also uh, in terms of innovation. So we, so the Prime Minister spoke of uh, the UK leading the world into the fourth industrial revolution as it led it into the first. Um, this isn't declinism. This is this this is a, an a, an extraordinary overestimation of the of the strength of the British uh, uh, economy, and and many people have argued. Yeah. So as, as I said, many people have, have argued uh, 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 the Brexiteer um, intellectuals and uh, uh, and politicians suffer from serious delusions of grandeur. So this is the the, the, the global Britain side of that of the Brexit coalition. Yeah, I suppose. yeah, and 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 you know, a more intelligent Brexiteer might uh, indeed argue that uh, the, the declinism of the sixties uh, amongst the intelligentsia. Uh, was a preparation for going into the the EEC, uh, and the, that declinism was uh, was rather overwrought. And in fact, um, the United Kingdom or Great Britain, whatever, remains a great nation, uh, and um, and and has become great again, and will become greater still uh, if it's freed of the sh- from the shackles of the of the EU. So, so I think declinism and. Uh, needs to be understood in in the context where there is a a very strange revivalism um, uh, uh, in the in the public sphere as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you find this yourself, but in this sort of very febrile atmosphere that we're in at the moment, um, I mean, you know, I, I completely agree that the the sort of the global Britain, uh, you know, that Britain could sort of um, relaunch itself on the global stage is is, is obviously a nonsense and, and, and affected by all sorts of unrealistic, nostalgic sort of affects. But I, I do sort of notice, you know, sort of talking with people who are um, very sort of firmly in the Remain camp, that if you make any noises about the comparative robustness of, of the UK regarding its rivals, if you make any attempt to say, well, actually, uh, you know, we're not, we, we are a major economy and, and what we do, we do has, you know, some significant effect in the world. Um, th- there's huge pushback on that. And it, it's almost taken to be, oh, you must be a Brexiteer if you're making that argument. Yes, I think that's, that's very interesting. And, 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 I, and I think you're right. I, I think um, I, I'm certainly in, in the intellectual remainer circles. Uh, not only do we do we have that kind of declinism, but also uh, features of, of a much deeper uh, um, impact of, of, of declinism I was referring to earlier. And a key, key case of that is the suggestion that the Brexit vote and indeed Brexit intellectuals uh, are, are the result of a kind of ghostly presence of of imperialism in uh, in Britain uh, in Britain in Britain today. So either you're an imperialist uh, or you're you're a pro-European, and if you're an imperialist, you are you are uh, part of the deep problem uh, of. Um, of, be, of being of being of being British imperialism has been for dec- decline. actually of left and right a key explanatory variable uh, uh, for uh, supposed uh, uh, absolute decline and for uh, for actual uh, relative um, decline uh, as well. Uh, and we you know we see this um, that form of declineism very clearly in Eric Hobsbawm's work in the nineteen in the nineteen sixties, and we also see it in Corelli Barnett's work uh, from the from the right, and certainly also in uh, the New Left uh, analyses from the uh, the sixties the sixties onwards. So 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 yes, these these arguments are 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 deeply ingrained. But I must say, I, I see the um, 
imperialism led to 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 to, to Brexit argument uh, 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 more clearly out there than than the argument that that, that you've made. But I absolutely agree that that uh, that it, it also is, is there that self self deprecating quality. Um, or at least an un- underestimation of the of the of the of the power of the British state and British uh, in- in institutions um, is 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 certainly a, a strong a strong feature of of uh, left liberal commentary on on the UK. Yeah, and and certainly uh, myself, uh, 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 my, uh, uh, I found that um, uh, that my my anti declinism, you know, from the left. Uh, has been misunderstood as a as an anti-declinism from uh, a certain species of of, of right, uh, and I've also certainly find, found that some some intellectuals of the of the of the right have been have been rather rather quick to take up my anti-declinist positions about about the past. So it's a it's 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 a rather uh, my my position is a, is a, is a is a rather complicated one um, complicated one to take in the uh, in, um, uh, which doesn't. Quite fit into the into the into the into the usual stories that intellectuals tell themselves about about Britain. Regarding the question of imperialism, so um, you seem to see the sort of the fundamental cleavage in in the twentieth century um, for, for British history uh, to be nineteen forty five and and the early nineteen fifties and this this shift away from an imperial system. To a, a sort of distinctively national economy, um, is is that a fair characterization? Not quite, actually. I, um, um, it's it's part of the story and a very important part of the story that I see the the United Kingdom emerging uh, from a much greater British Empire uh, in the same way, uh, well, not quite the same way, but analogously to uh, the Irish case earlier and the Indian uh, uh, case in the also in the ni- in the nineteen in the nineteen forties. Uh, and I want to do that just to say, look, that that in in Britain, as in India, as in Ireland, we have a new kind of nationalist historiography, you know, which wants to write out um, that that imperial uh, that imperial history. So in in Britain, as in India, uh, the empire is typically seen by intellectuals as a bad thing. So just as the empire retarded Indian economic development, so for the for the British nationalist left, uh, the empire retarded. Uh, British economic uh, uh, development. Um, so there's that. But empire wasn't the only game in town. In many ways, I think it wasn't the most important before 1945. Um, the other game, the other big game, was a kind of liberal globalism. So I, I, I see the first uh, third half of, of, of the 20th century as uh, seeing a, an important contest between that liberal globalist orientation of of um, policy and uh, uh, and ideology, um, and uh, uh, and the imperial protectionist one. Uh, so the, the 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 kind of national focus comes out because um, that's the only thing that's left uh, uh, after the the 1940s. It's not something that that uh, that that many British intellectuals or or, or politicians would have would have wanted. Um, but but generally, I, I, I do want to play up uh, the liberal nature of early 20th century uh, uh, Britain. Uh, I think the history has been far, far too imperialized, um, uh, you know, for example, in terms of uh, in terms of trade, that the, 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 um, 
the the hopes of imperialists that British trade should be imperial uh, uh, you know, have, have become uh, kind of everyday assumptions for a lot of commentary on the uh, on the history of the British uh, uh, economy. In fact, trade with Europe was uh, was extremely uh, extremely important. It, it uh, um, I mean the uh, uh, the Baltic, uh, the Mediterranean. These were British uh, British seas in 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 many ways. In many ways, I mean British coal uh, uh, powered uh, much of uh, much of Europe, for example. Uh, you know, Britain imported large quantities of uh, food from uh, from from continental uh, Europe. Lots of raw materials from continental Europe uh, uh, as well. The empire imperial economy is only one part of the of the story of um, of, of British global trade. Regarding that early post-war period, so in in sort of left narratives of the 1945 government and, and the 1950s, um, the establishment of the welfare state is given overwhelming prominence. But you argue that um, we ought to pay much more attention to what you call the British warfare state, the high military spending associated with the Cold War, and that the, the welfare state was very much subordinate to the productivist uh, tendencies of, 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 of the of British elites at the time. Is, is that broadly accurate? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I, I see um, a, a national... Uh, Left welfareist history uh, of, of, of Britain created in the 1960s has been the the dominant framing for for British history, certainly at, at, at university and uh, school level, uh, and that that history essentially tells a story of uh, the progressive forces in in Britain and sees them as the new liberals, and then the Labour Party. Uh, and it's labor that realizes the new liberal dream of a of a welfare state that's 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 the essential story that's uh, that's told and i want to challenge that in in two ways one in its own terms uh, the welfareist terms and to suggest that a, a welfare state for the working class 80% of the population was essentially created by the by the liberals and the tories and the tories uh, in the in the 1920s and that labor Certainly changed that system and generalised it in very important, uh, in very important ways, um, taking it to 100% of the population as opposed to to 80%, but built but built on it, um, and I think I think that's that's very important. So there isn't a, a there isn't as radical a transition from, uh, as it were, practically no welfare to welfare uh, from. The 1930s to the to the late 1940s, and the second challenge is to, to point out that. The big change in public expenditure between the 30s and the 40s and, and 50s is not in welfare spending, but in military spending. Um, uh, uh, Labour uh, uh, built a new Sparta, uh, not just a, a new Jerusalem, if you if if you like. Uh, and once we put the warfare state into the into the picture, a lot of things um, uh, begin to 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 to, uh, to 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 make sense. Not least the politics of the left. Uh, which, to a surprising degree, are, are, are focused on the on the on the uh, the warfare state rather than the welfare state. I mean, Bevanism really had nothing to say about the, the welfare state, but an awful lot to say about German rearmament and the um, the H bomb. And then we have the, the 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 other issue, which you alluded to, the the, the productivism of uh, of of, of post war uh, labour. 
I mean, it's absolutely not the case that Labour puts the welfare state above either warfare or 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 production. On 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 the contrary, one only has to read the Labour manifestos to see that production comes first. Um, and there's one exception to that, and that is 1959, and that that is the one welfareist uh, uh, moment. And this is the moment, indeed, when when the revisionists. Um, get to set the the agenda. The revisionist said, of course, was that that capitalism, including British capitalism, was doing just fine. Uh, the issue was to um, was to essentially to tax uh, a capitalism and deal with uh, with uh, inequality. Um, but that moment doesn't last very long. And in 1964, uh, Harold Wilson's uh, program is a deeply productivist one. Yeah, and regarding Wilson, you know, the popular cliche is to think of um, the, the the white heat of technology and and to think of a, a sort of failed attempt to transform Britain and to to wrest it away from from the sort of unproductive elite. Um, but but you argue that in in effect, Wilson is almost just just stating the obvious about the British economy that it had been a high tech, um, highly industrialized economy, um, you know, associated with uh, tremendous advances in in, uh, in in you know various forms of industrial innovation, um, and he was seeking to to extend that. Yes, exactly. So. Um, but uh, a Wilson, Wilson himself, in, in his uh, White Heat speech, uh, uh, provides uh, the language which leads to the analysis that that, that you're referring to. Uh, that's to say, it is a deeply declinist uh, speech, uh, reflecting a deeply declinist uh, public public culture. But Wilson, at the same time, understands the reality that that um, the British state has been engaged in major programs of industrial modernization, scientific and technical modernization. And his policy is, is actually about redirecting that effort and radicalizing that effort, not introducing it as the as the as the declinist narrative would have it. And just going back to your point on the way that the warfare state of the of the late 40s and 50s falls away from from popular consciousness is is that a consequence again of, of of the dominance of declinism that we just we just see britain in 1945 as as bankrupt you know in 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 thrall to the americans and, and we're not conscious of the extent to which british elites were committed to you know continuing to punch punch above their weight i suppose um because clearly there is decline at that moment you know we're very much a junior partner compared to the americans and the, and the soviets uh but nonetheless there's still you know a determination to to hang on to what remains of, of of the empire, there's you know the sort of the rhetoric of you know we must have the A bomb, it must have a Union Jack on it, and all this kind of business, um, and that that sort of falls away because we're we're just very attached to this notion of Britain as you know a very minor power at that point. Uh, yes, I think dec- declinism is a is a is a very important explanation for the lack of interest in in the uh, in in the warfare state, but I think there's something deeper than that. I, I think it's it's. It's the whole welfareist orientation that is a, is a more important factor here. That's to say, uh, British left intellectuals um, have found it very difficult to take on board the reality the British state could be a could be a warfare state. Um, I mean, at best, um, and people like Tony Benn uh, argued that uh, there was an over militarization of the British state because it was in hoc to the Americans. Uh, in other words, it's not. It's, it's not uh, this. This um, the, the warfare state is 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 not a local creation, or uh, it's uh, is an imposition from from outside. Uh, so you know, once you had the argument that 
British imperialism drove British militarism. I mean, the standard um, uh, uh, CP uh, CP line, and that transmutes into uh, you don't have a native British uh, in, in, um, militarism. It comes from from um, the great imperialist uh, United States of America. So there, there, there are multiple there are multiple reasons for the for the neglect of the um, of the warfare state, and indeed the Cold War more generally as a domestic phenomenon in 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 um, in British histories. It really, I mean, it really is very very deeply uh, ingrained. I mean, occasionally the warfare state pops up, you know, during the Korean War, uh, something something like that. Um, but even national service uh, was uh, was written out of the of the of the histories of post-war Britain. Um, it's it's really quite 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 extraordinary um, uh, the the way in 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 which uh, the the, the welfareist um, uh, uh, narrative has set the agenda for thinking about post forty five Britain indeed the whole of twentieth century Britain. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. If you would like to hear the extended version of this interview, please consider supporting the show via Patreon. You can find the page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.